Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Ag Chat, the podcast where we close the knowledge gap between the average producer and the average consumer by debunking common misconceptions of agriculture. Today, I am joined by Dr. Todd Calloway, a professor at University of Georgia's College of Agriculture and Environmental Sciences. So if y'all help me with a warm hand, welcome him. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Dr. Calloway? Okay, I am an associate professor in the Department of Animal and Dairy Science, and I've been back here at UGA now for just about five years. I did my undergrad and master's degree here, left to go do my PhD, and then spent 18 years, give or take, with the federal government as a research scientist for the United States Department of Agriculture, Agricultural Research Service. So my job was trying to find ways to reduce foodborne pathogens entering the food supply in live animals. So we were trying to erect a barrier, keeping these pathogens that exist in the world from entering the food supply and reaching humans. And I did that for a good while went on and became national program leader for food safety for the Ag Research Service. And after a little while of that, discovered that I really wanted to be back in the lab. I missed being a scientist. So I've got an opportunity to come back to my alma mater and be back near family and teach again and do research in the lab. And it doesn't get much better than that. So, no. and this episode of Ag Chat is going to be centered around beef dairy production and all the misconceptions that are in that field so i think that you are the perfect person to you know really get the ball rolling on all these questions so to kick it off do you think common misconceptions of agriculture are harmful why or why not well yes because currently we've only got about one percent or less of the population that is involved in agriculture in any way, shape, or form. So that being said, there's 99% of people who never work on agriculture at all. They have no concept of it. They may see cows in the field as they drive by or crops out in the field, but they don't know what goes into all the production that goes into making sure that they've got a good, comfortable life as far as a consumer is concerned. And at a certain point, there's politics have entered into it. So now there's this divide between agriculture and everyone else that doesn't really exist. So this misconceptions of how agriculture is performed, what it's like, what it's about, really helped widen that gap between rural America and urban America, where we don't get the chance to actually sit down and talk and see what each other does. And it's really hurt that respect between those two groups. So a lot of our people, you know, we run across kids in cities that will tell us that they have, that they get milk from the tap in the back of the grocery store, or that cows are destroying the environment by their belches. And, you know, things that there's maybe grain of truth somewhere in some of these stories, some of them are just urban myths that people have. And those misconceptions are, you know, they're draining America to a certain degree, but they make people vulnerable to some of these fad diets, these fad concepts of, well, if I eat all vegetable, 
all one type of vegetable every day, like kale, it's going to make me healthy. It's going to do everything for me. And people will, you know, start doing that and they will become unhealthy by eating this superfood exclusively. So people don't get that nuanced information the way that we used to. And that's places where like our extension service and a lot of other scientific avenues talking to people are trying to help bridge the gap and something like egg chat helps do that where you can talk about what's the real what's really going on out in the field versus how it affects consumers directly so i think a lot of these misconceptions bite consumers and producers both and it's just a simple fact of you know not even speaking the same language i completely agree there's never been more of a gap between producers and consumers generationally and also with knowledge, I think that's pretty safe to say that it's never been wider than it is now. So you pretty much touched on my next question of where do these misconceptions stem from? Yes, would you mind elaborating on where they may come from for in the beef dairy industry? Sure. And well, it's basically it's for all agriculture. And largely we're a victim of our own success. You know, several hundred years ago, farmers were told. People are limited in calories and protein. Make as much calories and protein as cheaply as you can because people need to be able to afford their food so they can feed their families. And farmers around the world just went, okay. And they've never been given another charge since then. So farmers have focused on producing as efficiently as they can, as cheaply as they can, as much food as they can. And when you look at the price of food, even now with the price of food as a chunk of your disposable income is so small relative historically, it's it's the tiniest chunk it's ever been. And because we don't have to pay as much for food for our day-to-day life, that extra income has been able to use for luxury, bigger cars, bigger houses, it's the fact that they're having to spend such a small fraction of their income on food. Now, that number may have shifted a little bit, but it's still very low compared to Europe, Africa, Asia. So being t- and I think that a part of that disconnect comes from people don't understand the difference between nutritionally dense food and energy dense food. Mm-hmm. And because, like, a really arbitrary way to put it is right now, dollar figure per calorie has never been lower it's correct but the double-edged sword for that is energy dense food like a bag of chips that might have 500 calories isn't going to do you as much good as a nutritionally dense food with the same 500 calories like 500 calories of a salad it's 500 calories, but how the calories are divvied up to be nutritionally or energy rich, I think is a huge part of it. Yeah. And the calories kind of come along with other nutrients and things like the bag of chips that you're talking about. There's not a tremendous amount of other nutrients like antioxidants or vitamins or some of these other compounds that are really beneficial to nutrition. Whereas in the salad, you have have more. You have fiber that's going to be fermented in your gut that's going to help prevent colon cancer. Whereas in a bag of chips, you don't have that. So there's a lot of factors involved more than just calories. But to kind of steer a little back 
towards um, beef dairy production. Mm -hmm. What are some of the ways that the media has shed maybe not the most flattering light on the beef dairy industry? Well, the first one that comes to mind is the Oprah Winfrey situation with pink slime a few years ago, where they were, you know, they started using the term pink slime for processed meat. And you know, that was really a very unfavorable light because it was act, they were acting like we're creating this industrial paste that, excuse me, that we're trying to poison our children with. Ah. And of course, you know, we're not doing that. It was providing nutrients in a form that was resistant to pathogen colonization and it would transport well. So, you know, it's a, di it's a difference between when someone can put a nice term on it and get a good sound bite, you're already behind the curve. And the beef industry and the dairy industry has, you know, they've, they're team players is what it comes down to. They want to make the best for society. They do their jobs and they do it well and they do it quietly. And then when somebody picks up and attacks them, they're always going to, you know, take a beat to think about a response. And by then, in today's social media world, then there are recordings everywhere. Comments. Yeah. Already a negative opinion formed. The damage is done before you have time to fix it. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, clearly, industries aren't perfect. You know, everything has room to improve. So there's room for criticism. But the attack for the sake of an attack isn't really productive. So the beef industry has started trying to combat some of these myths a little more rapidly, but they've really done a great job in the past 20 years of focusing on the science and doing what the science says. Because in the area that I work in of food safety, we used to have a lot of E. coli 0157 outbreaks in the United States and recalls and problems. Well, they follow the science and they do what's called test and hold procedures and a few other things. But it's been, we were sitting down trying to figure the other day, when was the last time we had an out, a major outbreak in the U.S.? And it's been at least seven years that we could remember. And that's amazing. You used to have two or three every month. So when you look at it, the industry has really taken huge strides forward in improving safety, improving nutrition. So, I mean, overall, they're doing a good job and they're very responsive to consumer demands. Dr. Kimare was my guest for chemicals and agriculture, and he brought up a really good point about nobody scrutinizes farmers' research more than other farmers because mm -hmm. nobody's tougher on the chemicals that go in or the things that are being produced on a mass scale because it has to be quality before the public even has any idea it exists. And I think a lot of people just assume farmers do what's the cheapest and the quickest, no criticism or scrutiny or anything. Yeah, people do make that assumption. And what they forget is farmers are also consumers. They eat their own product. So, you know, if you're not going to create this toxic sludge and feed it to your own children, or at least most people want, anyone that does is a sociopath and has some problems that they need to deal with. But in general, our, our producers, whether you're talking animals or plants, but you know, most of you are animal people, they don't want there to be any problems. They want to, they believe strongly in producing a wholesome quality product for people. 
in general, producers want to stand behind their product. And that's why they really like the idea of blockchain where you can keep track of from farm to plate, which animal is which. So that way the farmers can stand behind what is their product all the way up the line. And that's something that I've always been amazed by is that farmers really like this idea of accountability. We've talked about the meat quality and everything. The word hormone is thrown around all the time in agriculture, especially in the beef and dairy industry. Would you mind shedding a little light on that topic? Because I think. Okay. Well, this is not entirely my area of knowledge. So I'm speaking kind of as a educated, not really lay person on this, but again, I'm not a meat scientist. So what I'm getting, what I have on this is what I've read, not what I've done research wise. So I don't want to sound like this is the word of God from on high. So hormones are they're chemical signals within the body. And we have hormones in us constantly. Uh, every animal does, but what the reason hormones were used in cattle was to provide characteristics to steers, so castrated males, that a little more estrogen, where they would start putting a little more fat inside their muscles and a little more fat on the outside of their muscle, rather than growing larger the way a bull does. And it prevents having the bad taste of the testosterone and the hormones in meat Gamey meat. That, yes, it makes the meat very gamey. So steers, you have implants in of estrogen in their ears. They grow better. They put the carcasses are better quality. And this is being phased out for the most part. I mean, it's never going to disappear, but it's not as common as it was when I came up in the industry. When I came up, everybody put implants in ears, and I haven't seen anybody put one in several years now. But the whole idea was you can make these cattle grow more efficient. And then you know people got upset about the idea. And someone did the math, and you'd have to get a dose of estrogen equal to taking a birth control pill even one of the low estrogen birth control pills, you'd have to eat something on the order of 100,000 pounds of beef a day to get that same dosage of estrogen. So the hormone threat was highly overplayed in that regard. And plus, if you eat a hormone, a hormone largely is going to be protein and fat. When it goes into your stomach, it's going to be degraded. You're not absorbing uh, hormones directly through your mouth or through your esophagus. There's some passage and some absorption, but very low. Yeah, animals that are stressed or or not in good conditions, you know, that are you know, suffering from you know being unclean facilities, all these things, those animals are not going to perform to their best. They're going to be less efficient. So it cuts into the profit margin. So most of our farmers are focused on we want to have the healthiest animals that are producing the most efficiently because that means they are the healthiest they can be. So that applies throughout their lifespan. And at the time of slaughter, high level of stress on animals causes the muscles. You get a lot of lactate buildup. Uh, you get what's called dark, 
or cutter, pale soft exudated in pigs, there's some bad things that happen to meat quality if the animals are stressed just before slaughter. So the whole process is designed to be as humane and stressless as is possible. And that's so that animals are stunned before they are slaughtered. And that's so, that's kind of like even removing the ethical side of it, just like from a purely methodical mm-hmm. margin or profit margin. That's exactly. like, that's still the truth. It, it would be the same way with or without ethics involved because right. the animal has physiological reactions and visceral reactions to its life. And that carries over into its physical well-being. And Correct. if you're not going to put these cows shoulder to shoulder and then scratch your head and wonder why they aren't producing much on their bones or anything yes so you know like i said like you said exactly it's beyond even the uh the ethical considerations that we all try to ascribe to and we think everyone follows but by providing that incentive that economic incentive we're almost we are ensured that the vast majority of producers will follow the regulations because they're set up to produce most efficiently Yeah. And I think that's a very important to wrap this episode up. I want to talk about one more topic with, and you definitely know about this because it's regarding ruminant microecology, pretty much that uh, cows are tearing a hole in our ozone by farting and the mass production of bovines around the world to be brutally murdered. They're also destroying our atmosphere. Well, that's something I actually we just had a discussion about that in my class this past week in ruminant nutrition of the cattle do produce methane in their rumen in their their fore stomach and they belch that out to the atmosphere and it does happen but the big issue that people fail to understand is you have two pools of carbon there's a stable carbon pool that's fossil fuels underground and the labile fossil fuel that's recirculating in the atmosphere into the soil and crops and animals and back and forth in that carbon cycle, the biogenic carbon cycle, which has been around for millions of years. So this is part of that natural system. And when you look at how much methane is actually produced by cattle compared to by cattle best compared to swamps or compared to fossil fuel production, it's vastly outnumbered. Cattle production doesn't do very much in that big pitch. I can't remember where I saw it, but the number one producer of greenhouse gases was actually the chemical formation and setting of concrete. They kind of just stuck agriculture on there. And I mean, there's obviously a lot of logistics when it comes to fossil fuels that have to fuel agriculture. I think that's one of the big problems is farmers don't like spending their weight in gold on diesel fuel to make ends meet. If there was an all green, cheaper option, I think every farmer would be on it before they could turn around. Yeah, farmers it's, just not, are... it's just not sustainable and it's not practical yet. And everyone just wants us to fly before we can even crawl. Right. And everybody's wanting to solve the problem yesterday. And farmers are stewards of their land, stewards of the environment. They take that very seriously. So you see a lot of farms in the West that have 
windmills on them for generating electricity, solar power. There's a lot of people that are using methane produced from their cow waste from the manure to power their farms, at least in part. So there's a lot of great ways to capture that. And honestly, cow production and agriculture in general are really big on trying to increase the sustainability. But one of the things we've done for many years is try to reduce that methane production. There's been a lot of different things that we've done, and there's some new methods that are coming down. There's one that's about to be approved by the FDA that's going to make a big difference in methane production in cattle in the U.S., and people are going to use it because that methane is not just a greenhouse gas, but to a producer, it's a loss of about 12% of that energy that you feed oh, your animal. Lord. That goes out in the form of methane. So if you can capture some of that back, Keep it. you're going to be able to improve your efficiency. So this is where it's a win-win situation in agriculture. Reduce methane is going to improve sustainability and improve the bottom line of farmers. So everybody is on board with trying to help solve this problem. Problem is we can't eliminate methane production from cattle from their fermentation in their rumen because without that, their whole fermentation stops and then the cow kind of breaks down. So there has to be some methane production. Is this but um, we can definitely reduce it? Is this new practice regarding their diet? How to reduce the methane output? Yeah, it, what it is, is there's a chemical uh, uh, called 3-NOP, uh, nitroxypropanol, that is coming on. That What it does is it inhibits one of the enzymes in the bacterial and microbial production of methane. So it stops production of methane at the source. So then the animal finds other finds other kinds of sources basically is it's going to have to go to other end products that will help the animal be produced effectively. Oh, uh, well, that's a chemical that will get dragged through the mud by people that don't well, listen to ag chat. Well, it's already been approved in Europe. So I think it's going to have a good chance to come into the U S good. That will so, help I mean, a it's, lot. Yeah, and it's gonna it reduces methane production by about a third oh, in word. the data. So I mean, it is really high quality. I think it's really exciting. Probably the most exciting thing to come in and ruminate uh, development in the past 20, 25 years. I I wouldn't bat an eye at having four percent of my energy back. Exactly. That's pretty huge, actually, especially when you add up all the individuals. Exactly. Is methane the product of fermentation yes it is okay. well it's an it's a byproduct of fermentation it's produced okay. by archaea so that typically comes out of uh flatulence rather than uh eructation belching thank you very much for joining me i think this was a awesome episode i really enjoyed the banter we had oh, no, i enjoyed it as well uh do you have any advice for our listeners um, basically, it's the same one that I've given you off and on over the years is say yes to weird opportunities that come across your, your pathway, because you never know when you're going to need those strange skill sets or those opportunities and those networks. So it's always a good thing to try to say yes to as much as you can. Awesome. Thank you, Dr. Callaway, for being on this episode of AgChat. Make sure y'all like and subscribe and tune in to Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, and Google Podcast and Apple Podcasts. 
And I will see y'all next time. And let's put the culture back in agriculture.